Dude, focus is the most, like if you can pay attention, you can do anything. People can't pay attention though. No, they really everything can't. around us is designed to take away our attention. Yeah. But I guess we should get into it. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Of course. You're the founder of Sync Labs. How would you explain Sync Labs? Well, we're a research company and we're building first lip syncing models. So the big idea is like, let's say you want to watch any piece of content, like your favorite film, and you want to watch it in your native language. So like Spanish or German or Hindi. Today, dubs are extremely bad, but imagine a world where like Tom Cruise is just like, looks and sounds like he's speaking fluent Hindi. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you've had a year. We met, I think, half a year ago. But in the last year, you shut down a company. <laughs> you went through BuildSpace IRL. You got into Founders Inc. and took a check from Founders Inc. And then you got into Y Combinator and you've been kind of doing that for the last couple of months. Mm-hmm. It's been a year. What happened? Like, <laughs> how did that, how did you go from, from shutting down your last company to all of that? Uh, that's a great question. Um, short answer is probably, I don't know. Um, long answer is I just, I mean, I just like building stuff. So a company is like a product is not a company in its own. That's what I had to figure out. I think like just because you focus on a cool product and a cool idea, I guess first time founders, they'll focus on the product. Second time founders will focus on distribution. Right. And a third time founder is going to focus on the team. Ooh. So I think once you have people around you who can support you and like a team that like operates well, then you can go, you honestly build whatever you need to win. That makes sense. That makes sense. I remember being in this room, I think probably in July or August when you went viral on Twitter. Mm. I think you got something like 4 million views and it was a video of, I think it was Lex Friedman and yeah. Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. And they were speaking another another language. You had like dubbed the video in what, what language was it? It was Hindi. In Hindi. Yeah. And so we're in this room. We were having like, I think like the studio sync or the, like the general weekly sync. And I think Hubert had brought it up. He was like, yo, this guy just went viral, 4 million views. One of the guys from Build Space. I think he's working downstairs. We should probably invest. And then we ended up investing. Right? Yeah. I think it was up to like 150, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the first funding you took for the company. What happened after you kind of got that first bit of funding and how long had you been working on it before? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, I was working on another idea for build space. Um, I mean, I was in like experimentation mode. So I was just like downloading models, just like hacking them together, seeing what I could do. So like I was playing around with this class of models for like probably three months before that. But, um, yeah, this is like the first application for dubbing that I just like put it, like I hacked it together, put a demo and uh, I had like a, the beginnings of a team. So yeah, it was probably like about a month that we were working on this. And then you raised, you raised your money and then you went, did you go, you went viral right before you raised? Yeah. How did going viral actually impact the product? Were you collecting like emails? Did you get a bunch of users? Oh off yeah. Of I mean, okay. I made a mistake in the first like post. It was like, I asked everyone to DM me. Ooh. Yeah. Like DM for access. Yeah. I got like 10,000 DMs. I got rate limited on actually responding to people. Interesting. Did you end up going through most of them? I tried, but I mean like halfway through the viral thing, I like dropped an Airtable link and I just asked a bunch of people to sign up. So I still, I captured like 10,000 emails Okay. in like five days. And then I guess your product is interesting because there's two ways to kind of use it. You have an API. So developers, can build products around your model. Mm-hmm. And then you also have like the playground where I could just go in and upload a video, 
upload some audio and it would make my lips look as though I'm natively speaking in that other language. Mm -hmm. Yep. Where would you say a majority of your users came from? Uh, two channels. So socials as in Twitter and LinkedIn and then just GitHub. Like the repo that we have. So my, like the original, we're the original team behind wave to lip and it's a pretty interesting model. It has like just over 8k stars on GitHub. If you like, if you like, if you look up anything related to lip sync or avatar generation, this paper will come up. So we just like posted a link to our website there. And then, yeah, about 75% of new traffic comes from there. 75%? Yeah. I mean, at least as of like a week ago. What went into writing that paper? How long did it take? It was part of a master's thesis. Like it was, yeah, six months probably. Six yeah. months. Interesting. I'm, I'm kind of on the other side of, of startups, more like less of the research, building foundational models, more of like the B2B or more of like the distribution kind of hacking things together. You, keep, you need both. You do, you do. But what would you say goes into like the research side? Uh, lots of experimentation. It's, uh, it's more of a game of like just shots on target. Like it's very difficult to put research on a timeline. You just need to have smart people who are chasing, like having interesting ideas and then being able to execute them and just doing it over and over. So, uh, yeah, building a research company is hard in the sense it's hard to know when you're going to have a breakthrough, but that's where I think we're taking an interesting approach because yeah, I mean, Twitter, like we, we built a great community just on Twitter. Um, like we have our own Slack channels and stuff too. And we typically, when you're building models, it's, you have to like experiment and iterate and then look at the results and then judge whether it's better or not our community helps a lot with that. So we can do things that like typically you need to go and raise a million or 2 million or $3 million for. Like what? Like we can release experimental models, have a bunch of people try it out and then review the data and see like, where's the model improving? Where is it failing? And like our, our community is very supporting in that sense. Like we release something in beta. We tell them it's not perfect, but they'll like, they'll try it out and they'll send us the samples. They'll like, they'll talk to us about where they think it's good, bad, so yeah, it's kind of, it, it's good. I mean, we're taking like kind of an interesting approach there. How did you build that community? Kind of on accident. Why is everything honest. on accident? <laughs> I well, don't know, I, accident. <laughs> it's easy to look back and say, oh yeah, these are the dots and that's how we connected them. But yeah. like we make decisions in the, like on the fly. Like for us, we started with this like crazy viral tweet and then everything has just been, how do we make decisions as fast as possible to get from like a demo to a product and then a product to a company? So the community that we built was more like, it was a question for me of like, what do people want this for? Who are the people that want this? And how big of the opportunity is it? So I got on like, I mean, the beginning, especially I got like a hundred calls a week. Like I talked to so many people and me just talking to people and then trying to solve their problems. Kind of, we built a relationship, right? That's what it is. That's how I feel our community kind of started. So. Just you getting on calls with people, yeah. building that relationship. Yeah. And where do they live now? Is it in a Slack? Is it just online? Slack, online, email, just a big list of people that like email me or email back basically. And so then what kind of goes on when you're building a product? Like what does the development cycle look like? How long do you spend building something before you push it out for people to test it? There's three components to that. One is the research. So whenever we have a promising model, we immediately try and ship it. Uh, we'll ship it in beta or experimental. And then each model takes around a week to two weeks to train. So 
Uh, yeah, but development cycle on the research side is around a week to two weeks when you can try something new. Product is faster. We, I mean, we have a feature in mind, like we want to go build and we just like, we just build it. I mean, at the stage we're at, we're just like, like I'm, I'm aiming to create violently. I just want to create as many things as possible. Yeah. And then we'll prune as we go. Like we're, it's like such an open field where there's a lot of applications for what we're doing. I want to serve the core customers today. And I want to sh- just like create this culture of just shipping a lot of stuff very quickly. Then, you know, we start growing. Um, we'll get a lot more ideas around like where we need to focus our time. Interesting. How big is the team right now? Five full time. Yeah. Who are they? Like, what are their roles? Well, we got four co-founders total. Four co-founders. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's a lot of co-founders. It's a lot of good talent though. True. Well, so there's me, there's Pavan, there's Prajwal and Rudraba. So, uh, Prodrill and Rudraba were the original two researchers behind WaveTilip. And yeah, they're both PhDs, both brilliant, and they, they're very good at what they do. So Prodrill is more focused on like experimentation, um, like building new models. Rudraba is also focused on that, but he's also on the optimization side. So, you know, we have an experiment. How do we make it like run faster? How do we make it like package it for a specific GPU? Um, like how do we make it a production service? And then I'm building infrastructure. So like MLOps hosting, I'm kind of like all over the place. Like when it comes to, we have like three different code bases, like four different code bases. And I'm just like touching all of them. We have Pavan who's driving most of our like enterprise sales and then BizOps, So like finance, um, like just running payroll, like all that kind of stuff. So together we have a strong team and we hired another founding engineer who's really good at full stack. So that's where like we have our playground, which is web. We have our API, which is like web slash infra. We have our like inference layer, which is, yeah, just, um, that's a a really annoying piece of it, to be honest. Annoying why? Paying for GPUs suck. How expensive? Last four days, and last two days, we've burned roughly $7,000 in just inference. Just inference? Yeah. On the res- so research, we're spending fifteen grand a week to train models. And are you are you generating revenue off your product right now? Generating revenue, but I mean the focus is growth. Like right. our margins could be a lot better if we focus on optimizations. But it's just like I just want to create new models. I want to create new IP. When you create something, like how do you drive traffic towards it? Twitter, just Twitter. Twitter, LinkedIn, yeah. And are we talking like ads, or are we talking like? organic posts from yours and the company accounts? No, organic posts from ours, from like my accounts, uh, company accounts. I'll like tell our community, email everybody. How big um, is the email list? 17,000. 17,000. Yeah. And how many followers would you say you have across Twitter and LinkedIn? Uh, personally around 10K. 10K? A little bit over 10. And then the, like our um, sync account has like 2K. 2K. Yeah. And how, so let's say you, you make a, you have a product that you're launching next week. You hit the list, you hit your, your accounts. How many people can you accurately expect to sign up? The, okay, these are all existing users and subscribers. If I want to drive growth, um, like there's two ways I would do it. One is we can scrape GitHub, which is nice. Mm-hmm. So we've been building email lists basically like for people who are interested in, in our open source repo and then other repos that are similar. But I mean, honestly, most of our traffic is inbound. 
Interesting. Yeah. Would you say that, how would you say that like Build Space or Founders Inc or Y Combinator helped with distribution specifically? Build Space taught me how to use Twitter. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Everyone was talking about the Build Space effect. I remember in, in one of Farza's like kickoffs, yeah. they had shown all of the, I think it was the SL, like you, you guys, like you're the, the first batch of IRL students all going viral. Yeah, sharing we were all like, like we literally every, I think every, almost every person had a, like a viral moment and whatever they were doing, like TikTok or whatever it was. Yeah, interesting. And then what about I think and Y Combinator? Well, Fink taught me how to monetize. <laughs> so that's the, that was the biggest thing. I think um, when it comes to distribution, I think it's interesting. I mean, really for me, what Fink gave me personally was just like a bunch of brains that I could then learn from. I think actually for me, the biggest thing I had to learn was just like engineering infrastructure, like how to scale. I had the intention, right? Like we went viral. I had a lot of people looking at me. I needed to build something that could service a lot of people very quickly. So for me, it was like, how do I, like, who are the engineers I can talk to? You know, like Abe was like, I downloaded his brain basically. <laughs> yeah. And then YC is, uh, I would say a step above, like one really interesting thing that I learned is like how, just how to gauge a market. So Build Space taught me how to like get attention. Founders Inc. taught me how to start monetizing and just move quickly and like build cool shit fast. YC taught me how to think about the market that I'm in and attack the market in a very strategic way. What have they taught you? Uh, so this is a really interesting conversation, right? Um, I had, I was lucky enough to just like grab a seat right next to Emmett Shear, like during the YC batch retreat. The Twitch co-founder? Yeah. And it was sick, man. He's brilliant. Like he lives up to every reputation he has. He was almost the, what well, he was the open AI CEO, yeah. right? Was this before or after? This was after. Okay. Yeah. I actually, when that happened, I DM'd him on Slack, like in our, their community, like your YC community. And I was like fanboying. I was basically like, yeah. So that was cool. But <laughs> uh, I mean, the way he broke it down to me was very interesting. Like when you think about these, like, like let's say lip sync specifically, it's a feature for many products. Like you can build a translation app or you can do like AI generated avatar content or like you can do a lot of interesting things with it. And if you look at it like a commodity, which is similar to let's say text for Twilio, then a commodity market over time, the like the price will decrease, like performance will increase, price will decrease. And the way to attack a market like that is just like full throttle drive as much adoption as possible today. So look into the future. What is like six months from now, what do you think the price is going to be and sell that today? Because like, for example, for let's say you're a developer and you need text in your application, like Twilio is really the number one. And in a market like a commodity market like this, there's going to be one or two big players and then a bunch in the long tail. The one or two big players make the most money. Right. They're either the guy or the other guy, right? Like that's <laughs> what it is. So for us... It like it taught me. I mean, that's just like one example. It just taught me like, okay, in the market I'm playing in, what is the strategy that's ripe for this? And so taking that exact example and applying it to what you're building on, which is like AI models, how do you see communication and like the way we actually interact on a day to day basis changing once AI latency is you know below two milliseconds or below one millisecond, and once we're at a point where it's like people are walking around with a Vision Pro on their head, <laughs> speaking completely different languages, but they're all able to interact. Yeah. I think that's like 
going to happen. Like, I think that's an inevitability. How far out? The Vision Pro thing is too expensive to for like massive adoption very quickly. But I would say the next five years for sure, that's going to be, it's going to be the iPhone. Like this is the iPhone one moment, right? Right. Like five years down the road, everyone's going to have some version of this. Um, I think we can probably do something faster today just with exist. Like I do want to build for the Apple Vision Pro, but I also want to make sure that like what's a market today that's large enough that we can just go and execute on. And I think we can do something like real time is not far away from us. That's crazy to think about. It's also like at a time right now where everything seems to be moving to meet in the middle. And what I mean by that is we have the Vision Pro and, or let's take the Quest, for example, the Quest Pro, which was a super powerful, super chunky thing. Mm. Then the Quest 3, which is kind of smaller, pass through is perfect. Mm. You know, the experience is really good when you use it. And then you have the Ray-Ban Metas, which (laughs) the form factor is basically perfect. You can't really tell that someone's using it especially if they put electrical tape over the, the the recording sensor, the microphone works really well. And it feels like we're going to meet in the middle to where in the short term, like in the next few years, we're going to see AR glasses that mm. I could put on and I could walk in like China, for example. I can speak whatever language I'm speaking. But the cool part is more that if I'm speaking to you and I don't know the language you're speaking, I will see a rendered version of you speaking yeah. in your language that I don't understand, mm-hmm. translated in a way to where it's my language that I understand and I hear it. And I feel like that will change a lot. Have you ever read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Of course, yeah. After Elon Musk recommended it. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, that's my favorite book. I was like 14. I was like, I have to read it now. Oh my God. (laughs) Uh, But you remember the Babelfish? I do, yeah. Dude, that's not, I mean, that's like a real thing that we could go and build. Like we are building currently. Like all the, the pieces of that stack are coming together now. Like there's no reason why language should ever be, will ever be a barrier in every generation to come. And so once the communication layer is basically the same for everyone, and once that is no longer a barrier to entry, what will determine winners and losers? I think it's a level playing field. I mean, I think it just levels the playing. Everyone who, everyone who's smart will get an opportunity to learn in the way that they're suited to best. I think it will democratize access to a lot of things. Like, for example, jobs. Like the biggest like the biggest problem to hiring someone across the world, okay, time zones is an issue, but like remote work is happening more and more frequently. You can do asynchronous, like you can code asynchronously, you can write documents asynchronously, but the biggest barrier to having someone who's really smart in another country that doesn't speak English work at Meta, for example, is the language barrier. If you can't effectively communicate with the rest of your teammates, then it, it adds like a layer of, it just like slows things down, right? Slows things down, the risk of miscommunicating, the risk of doing something wrong increases. So I think like when tr- when translation, when language becomes in a sense like obsolete, yeah, like it'll open up it'll open up the world to an I think another level of just collaboration and um, like ideas will come from a lot of new places. This argument of like or this perspective of like you know AI will level the playing field is something that has been talked about a lot, especially in the last year or two. Mm. I was talking to Sharif about AGI and kind of his prediction, his timeline, how he thinks it'll change the world. And so I'm curious to get your take as well. Outside of just specifically AI translation, do you think that AI, as much as it'll level the playing field, do you think it will also start to compete on that playing field? <laughs> will it compete on the playing field? Like, okay, def- if we define AGI as some, as like an artificial entity that can do everything a human does, but 
probably better, then that's a very scary thing. But I don't think we're, in a sense, it's scary because, yeah, it could like automate a lot of people away. So you think if if it works like that, it will automate people away? I think I would like to give people the benefit of the doubt to say, if a tool like this comes out, you will learn how to use it and leverage it to your advantage. I still think humans would be able to do a lot of things, many things that like a hyper, like intelligent reasoning engine will not be able to. But right now, chat, and I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here, but yeah. chat GPT has been out for a little over a year. GPT-3, when it came out, super good. Mm-hmm. When 4 came out, it made 3.5 look like it was useless. And now they're using 4 to build 5. Mm-hmm. But still, so many people don't know how to use it. And they actually don't know how to prompt or they just haven't cared enough to figure out how to leverage GPT to make themselves just that much more capable. But the ones who have basically have superpowers. Yeah. Like the ones who have figured out how to use AI in their daily workflows and the people who have figured out how to like content creators who use AI to generate more content, better content, more attractive content, mm-hmm. coder, like people who are programmers who have figured out how to use code to write much more code, like much more efficient code, cleaner code, faster code, better code. People who are lawyers who are starting with, with things like Harvey who are figuring out how to be more, just get more done. Yeah. It's like you, everyone who has figured out how to get more done is that much more ahead of everyone else. Mm-hmm. Do you not think that that same thing will continue to happen? Even if the barrier to entry, as far as getting good at AI gets lowered. Hasn't that barrier always existed? Hardworking people will always get ahead. Isn't that the same thing? Like hardworking people who like they always go and leverage the tools that are available to them or they go find the tools to go and grow. Right. Like at the end of the day, you're leveling the playing field, but you're like everyone on the field has different capabilities and everyone is going to play the game differently and grow at different rates. Right. And I think that's actually a better way to think about it. Like give everyone the same ground level advantage and see what people do with it. Interesting. Yeah. So you right now, you're a founder, you have a team, you've raised a bunch of money and you're very kind of like aware of what's in the AI space how are you using AI right now to like over leverage yourself? Uh, my teammates make fun of me because like they have never, s- I have like ChatGPT everywhere. Like I have, I've been plugged into like every aspect of my workflow. Really? Yeah. Like what? I'm a full-time cursor user first. Okay. So I code like hundred percent all of my time in cursor. Nice. Sick. It's amazing. Phenomenal tool. Um, I use warp, which the terminal. Yeah. The terminal. AI terminal. I use that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, superhuman I use, I mean, AI writing for simple things is easy, but I prefer to just write emails myself. Like I also don't write very long emails. Like I'll create snippets and templates and all that kind of stuff. But if I need to, like, I'll just throw a bunch of notes into Otter. Like I'll just run it, go on a walk or something. I'll just like talk it out and I'll just have GPT just like format it into an email that I need to send. I've only recently started using Otter and- Game changer. Because now every time we have a brainstorm or we have a meeting, I'm usually the one to take notes. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I got advice a year ago. It's like the person who takes the notes is the person who controls like the meeting and who controls the information in your company. And so ever That's since then- That's an interesting then, point. Ever since then, I've started taking notes. But once I started using Otter, I was able to actually kind of be present in the meeting instead of being the one focused on taking notes. Yeah. And it's there and I can ask it right after what was talked about in the meeting, what are the action items? And so I'm like intentional about saying like out loud to the team, like, okay, so the action items are 
blah, blah, blah. Because then I can go and ask Otter, what are the action items? And I yeah. know it's listed out. I can say, what did so-and-so say about this? And it's just like a, a good user experience, like an easy way to where I can collect a bunch of data without having to expend the effort of collecting that data myself. And it's like, why does the Apple Watch work so much better than the apps that essentially did the same thing around tracking your steps, tracking your calories, tracking what you ate? Mm. In my opinion, it's because it just, it works. Like you don't actually have to think about it. You just have to have the watch on and it'll take care of like the tracking for you. It's also helps when it's a status symbol. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. You have to get people to want to use these products, right? Yeah. It's like 90% of the challenge. So I think like Otter is a great product. They've been in market for years. I mean, like genuinely years. But only in the last year where everyone is like, oh, like, you know, transcription and all these things like AI is taking over is like, I think that's when they started really popping off. Yeah. So yeah, I like Otter. Otter is good. But I think that's a very interesting, like, I like your comparison with Apple Watch because it's, I mean, the Fitbit does a great job. Like I wear an Aura ring. I think it does a great job. Aura ring is also a status symbol though, especially in SF. It is you can now. tell when someone, yeah. you can <laughs> tell when someone's wearing an Aura ring because <laughs> yeah. they're wearing like, especially with the guys who wear like a silver Aura ring and then a bunch of other silver rings, you can tell one of them isn't actually a fashion <laughs> ring because it's big and chunky and it has like a weird edge on it. Yeah, it's cool. It is, it is. I mean, that's also the thing with like Rabbit and Tab and all these like, you know, these devices that you're supposed to start carrying around or wearing around. It's like, you got to get people to want it. So it becomes a status symbol first. It's interesting how you didn't mention humane in that. Like, uh, and I feel like yeah, a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people, I have the same conversation with a lot of people. None of them mention humane anymore. It's always rabbit mm. tab. And then there's one other, I forgot what it's called. I think some people mention rewind. Yeah. Why do you think that is? As a founder, I think we just pay more attention to like Avi and tab just cause he blows up in Twitter all the yeah. time. I think it's a good case study for how to market your product. I think it's a very good case study for how to build a really good product too. Why like, is he a good set, a case study on how to build a good product? He's his number one user by far. Like any, all his posts are just him talking about like, I just use this to do this today. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is what we just built. And I use it to do this. Like he's, he's like a super user for his own product. It's like when people say sell the impact or sell the life, not the feature. Like with the mm -hmm. iPod, it's not two gigabytes of storage for music. It's a thousand songs in your pocket in that like original ad that went super viral. Or like <laughs> with the iPhone, you're not saying here's like a five megapixel camera. You're just showing the pictures it's able to take. But it's even more raw than that. Like I think nowadays, they, okay, Apple, of course, like, you know, mastermind and just getting sure. people to do what you want them to do. But I think it's more like in the age we're in now, people tune into people. We have too many choices for where we want to spend our attention, especially on like socials and um, like just like the world we live in today. When you tune into people doing interesting things, like Avi is just literally showing himself using his product every day. You can't, you build like a personal brand and you can do a lot with that. That's something that I've learned recently, actually. How are you trying to build your personal brand then? I see um, you with the videos, Hadi makes. Yeah, I'm trying. I mean, I'm not trying to build a brand, but I'm just trying to bring people along for the ride. You know what I mean? Document, don't create. Yeah, I guess. Is that a thing? Like, yeah. Yeah, document and don't create. I like that. This is like, we do interesting stuff. I just want to tell people about what we're doing, you know? How do you document that interesting stuff in a way that doesn't impede on the interesting stuff? Like one thing we've talked about is like, why don't we have a camera follow us around while we make stuff at Founders Inc.? Mm. It's like, we don't want a camera following us around. We don't want the things we say to be, well, speaking for myself, I don't want the things I say, <laughs> a lot of them, to be recorded. Yeah, I think it's, it's a balance and it's tough. 
it takes time to make content, but it, that, at the end of the day, it's like, it's worth it to do, right? Like it's an investment in your future. It's also an investment in the community. It's an investment in just like, for me, I, like I, big fan of novel. Like there's four things that we can do to create leverage. Content is one of them. Code is another. People like attract intelligent people is another. And then raise capital. So uh, I'm trying to figure out what the best form of content is for our company. And I think document not create is a good way to put it. Because like we're playing in such an open, wild, like green space that it's almost like we're pirates, you know, we're just like on a ship and I just want people, like I want people to look at us like, you know, Luffy's leading the ship and, (laughs) you know, it's just like we're just having adventures. That's it. What do you think the you want the company to turn into in the next few years? I want to build sick models. You want to build models? Yeah, I want to build sick models. Like I, th- I think like there's a huge opportunity in this space. Where's the opportunity? Like what happens if you win? Everyone's focused on building very strong reasoning engines. So obviously ChatGPT changed my life. It changed a lot of people's lives. 100%. I th- like to your point of not everyone is like investing their time into learning how to use it. It's true because like we're, I mean, I'm a nerd. You're, we're all nerds. Like the founders think we're all nerds, you know? But the reason is we're used to like going online to like a forum or like reading people's like. So you add Reddit to the end of your search before you search anything on Google. Yeah. Like we're used to doing this kind of like the stuff where we're, we're like communicating with others over the internet and like text is like just chatting and using a chat bot is normal. Most people are not like that. So if, in order to get it to be more accessible for a lot more people, it needs to have a more, almost like a human interface. And in order to have a more human interface, you need to have models that understand how humans behave. Like if you can modify, if you can synthesize them, that's like the highest end. The first step is like, if you can, you modify a human, understand and modify a human in a video. So then imagine you have like, like a, uh, like a virtual, av- like you have a synthetic human you can talk to that has, is powered with the reasoning engines that we're creating today. Dude, the idea of synthetic humans is so interesting. I remember like a week ago when the Vision Pro came out and people were starting to like meme or people were starting to make fun of like the avatars that you get when you set up a Vision Pro. Do you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone tweeted like, this is going to be a breakthrough in therapy because now you can talk to yourself <laughs> in a way that has never been seen before. Bro, and that's like, wild. That's one way to think about it. Another thing is like having a version of myself, if AI is good enough to where that my, like I act as my own assistant. I act as like the first line of defense to phone calls, emails, texts, whatever. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like cloning yourself, you know, but it sounds too futuristic to feel like I will experience it or to feel like it could be good enough. And I feel like that's Mm -hmm. something that continues to get broken. Like I use the vision pro after seeing the launch six months ago, after seeing the announcement, I'm like, there's no way it's going to be that good. I used it. It was that good. <laughs> yeah. And like that just continues to happen over and over when you, especially like using your friend's products when they explain that it's going to do something, you know, like, okay, that's a good pitch, but like, is it actually going to work? And then yeah. it works. Yeah. You think it's far off? Really? I think it's hard to conceptualize that I will have a version of myself that looks like me, talks like me and acts like me that is indistinguishable or good enough to where people don't care. Indistinguishable is that's a key word. I mean, that's even on a digital persona though. And I think it's easier. I think it's easy I think it's easier to imagine an indistinguishable version of my online persona, the way I tweet, the way I text people, the way I email people, the way I respond to messages on Slack. Like I'm very consistent Mm -hmm. in that. And so I feel like with the technology that exists, if someone cared enough, someone put enough money into it, they could build a version of me that acted exactly like me. Mm 
but seeing that at scale to where everyone, like, I don't know if I'm talking to you or if I'm talking to your agent. I don't know if I'm talking to Eric or if I'm talking to his agent. Like that's just a weird concept. I think it depends on the, like the context of a conversation. Like if I, if I can have my clone get on a call and just like make reservations for me, I don't need to have like my full personality to do that, you know? True. But if I, like, if I'm just trying to like save my own time, like an 80, 20 rule, 80% of the calls I have are probably not worth it. Yeah. Not worth it. Right. Like I could, I could focus more on the 20% or I could just expand the amount of hours or like the amount of volume of calls that I could filter through. I think that's probably a better way to think about it. It's just like, yeah, creating a second brain that can answer questions on your behalf. I think there's a, a couple of really cool companies doing that right now. What are they? My favorite so far is actually my friend, um, like Delphi. Yeah. Oh, you're friends with the Delphi guys? Yeah. Nice. It's a really sick product. Very interesting. Their distribution is great too. They have like great people on the platform. Interesting. What does their distribution look like? They're backed by Founders Fund. So basically all of the partners are have a clone with them. That's a great way to start. That's nuts. Yeah. So Keith Raboy is the one that I actually use. I haven't met him. I want to meet him. But yeah, that's the one that I use the most. Live brainstorm of the future kind of aside. What do you think the next five years or what do you hope the next couple of years look like for Sync? There's like, there's definitely a clear roadmap in my mind. I do say since we are focused on research, it's more of like, what are the lines of experimentation that we want to run? The end goal being getting to a point where we have like a, almost, we take a foundational approach to these audio visual models where you know, we build this core model and then we can go and fine tune on specific tasks. So right now we're doing like, we're not right now we're like training specifically for lip sync, but imagine a future where you have a model where it can do lip sync. It can do lip reading. It can do, like facial expression modification. It can do like full human synthesis. It can do, like it, it can pick out a person in a crowd. Uh, if you have a crowd and they have audio, like a, like a video of a crowd and audio, it'll, you'll be able to pick out a person in the crowd and then isolate that audio for that person. Like it, it'll have like a very good understanding of just like humans in video. Does that make sense? Object, like conceptually, yes. Implementation wise hard to imagine. Yeah. I mean, that's a function of just like, I mean, it's obviously there's a lot that goes in before getting to that point. Right. I mean, the fun, like fundamentally like working with video data is the hardest because it's like the highest modality. Like if working with text is the easiest images, obviously one step above and then video is extremely difficult. Yeah. If you want to start doing like 3d images and stuff, then that's crazy. Right. Yeah. But uh, I mean, we're at a point where these things can work. Like we, we have understanding, we have a good understanding of like what, how do you represent video in a different way where models can really like learn and understand that is not extremely computationally expensive. That's a line of research that's happening right now. And it's like, we're making lots of progress, not just us as a company, like the industry as a whole. Um, so getting to the point where you can one core at its core, understand what's happening in a video is the first step. The second step is, okay, how do you tie this to like a, a, like a human's behavior? Like how do you, how do you, how do you start to learn a, like a human's behavior from this? Yeah. And I, it is possible. I mean, getting to this point, it's going to be, there's an opportunity. I think it's going to be a long road. It'll be shorter than expected for sure, but it'll be a very interesting avenue to explore. But I mean, short term, I, I'm not trying to be a research company that just 
Like we're not going to close our, put our heads in a garage and then just like come out six months later or a year later, whatever it is. Like that's why we're very public on Twitter. Like we post, we like every experimental build that we have that works, that we host and we get like people try. Um, and I think especially in the space that we're in, there's a lot of intermediate problems that we can go solve, which are like very valuable. Like lip sync is great for the dubbing industry. And we don't need to have some foundational understanding of humans and video to go and accomplish this. Like we're almost there today, I'll say. At what point do you think that you're going to have to switch over from like research building, like personally, to company building, leadership, management? I think rule of 12. <laughs> What's like, the rule of 12? Uh, once you have more than 12 people, then you have to, like there's different stages to the company. Uh, until you have 12, you can have very, like, like maybe it's a flat structure. You can just focus on building. You can, it's easier to kind of run the team, get everyone aligned. And then once you start getting over 12, you have to think more about management, et cetera, et cetera. For me, I am very focused on company building. Um, I'm focused on pretty much every aspect of the business that requires attention. I think that's like, as a founder CEO, that's just what you have to do. But yeah, I mean, like trying to learn how to lead is hard, but it's something that, I mean, every, I think every founder needs to do. That makes sense. So I'm going to ask you the question that I ask to everyone towards the end. And that is, if we were to do this podcast again in a year, mm. what would you have want to accomplish by then to consider the past year a success? I mean, I have my like business goals in mind that I want to hit, but realistically from like a product and a, uh, like an, like what is the impact that the company is having perspective? I would like to, I would like to have at least a, like a million, let's say a million hours of dubbed content. What are you at right now? Um, just over 700 hours. It's a big leap. It's not that big. We like, we'll get there. I think a million is actually, I think we could do more, but I'm just saying a million because it sounds nice. All right. Well, thanks for coming on.